Good morning. My name is Chris. I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and I'm so thankful that you're here. Thanks for joining us online as well. It's uh, an honor to be able to um, share with you for a short while. As uh, Mike just mentioned, you know, decisions and opportunities that we have, we have been walking forward in a building project for many, 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 many years, and that's not enough many's. And we um, continue to trust God and what God is doing in and through it. And we'll be sharing more and more opportunities, or sharing more about that here soon. As a member, if you're a member, you should have received a letter in the mail this weekend or look for it on Monday. It'll be sitting there with some upcoming opportunities and information. Last night, I was thinking about this building, and the vision for it is really connection and community, is that we want to use it not just for us here, but to extend beyond these walls to invite others to be a part, uh, to connect and find different ways. And I thought of that last night as I was sitting down in that end of the church at about midnight last night. And we, I want to say thank you to you as a church. You don't know why I'm thanking you, but I'm going to tell you why. That you opened the doors here of this building last night. There was a number of cast members and parents from Newsies, which is at the high school this weekend, invited the whole cast to come up. And I don't know, half the cast or something came. And a whole bunch of parents, but a number of students and parents that have never stepped foot in here. And it was a place of connection and opportunity. And they had a good old time. And like I said, we were here till well after midnight last night with a bunch of kids and a lot of energy and excitement. So thank you for being a church that is willing to open its doors to be a part of what God is doing around the community in a lot of different ways. And so, so thank you for being a part of that. And we are the church. We're part of the church. We've been walking through a series, and we are on our sixth and final movement of this series through the whole narrative of Scripture, of you are not your own. And we have walked through these six different movements, this first creation, and we looked at in the first two chapters of Genesis that God created and he took what was chaos and he brought order to it. Then we as humans, which we've done again and again and again, is we have fallen. Sin was entered into the picture and we see yet still how God provided a way. God made a way. He opened opportunities and continued to be faithful to his people, to people. And then we looked at Israel. We looked at the covenant God made with Abram. We looked at how God is faithful to hold his promises, that promises are true. Nick shared a couple weeks ago about Jesus and that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Messiah that was to come to rescue us from our sin. Last week, we looked at the church, really, Acts, through what is Revelation 20, is different letters to the church and the movement of the church and the, the spirit of God empowering the church. It's not just the people on their own trying to do things, but it's the spirit of God. And we looked at a passage from Acts chapter two, which said this. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. So this amazing scene where God had moved and guided his people in this presence was seen by smoke and fire. And we see throughout the Old Testament God's presence there. But all of a sudden now there's this movement of the people where there's fire above them and the Spirit of God is with the people. As I mentioned the series, You Are Not Your Own, it has been based on two passages or two verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Where Paul wrote, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? So just as we see in Pentecost, the Spirit of God 
present in human beings, through human beings, who is in you whom you receive from God. It says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. This is the movement of Jesus, that Jesus gave his life for every single human being. And it's up to us whether or not we receive that gift of forgiveness. That last part of the passage here, therefore, because of those things, therefore, honor God with your bodies. So everything we think, everything we do, everything we say, everything we put our action and efforts towards, we're to honor God with our bodies. Not in our own power, but in the Spirit's power. In the Spirit of God is moving. God is moving and has been moving. There is great conversation around revival and renewal and active change. And a number of you came and prayed here. A number of you were praying there. And this is continual saying, God, revive me, renew me. Take these areas that I have hidden that have been just allowed to sit in my life and bring healing in these areas. Show them to me, God, so that I can be more like you. And in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, there's a passage that God is actively looking for people who are praying those prayers. It says this, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So I love that, is that God is ranging the earth going like, ah, your heart's committed. Ah, your heart's committed. 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 He's looking, and he's strengthening those who say, Lord, do a work. This is me. This is who I am. I am not my own because I've been bought at a price. So I don't, I don't need to hide behind whatever it is. Be honest. I can be raw. I can be real. Not only with you, God, but with people around me. Romans chapter 8 describes the situation, kind of this like type of feeling that we can have around us and within us, right? And that is a very spiritual term. So, all right. Verse 22 says this, we know that the whole creation has been groaning, there's that sound, right? In the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So someday there is a full redemption, a full renewal that is to come. This is the groaning. But guess what? We don't just have to wait for that. There is this active renewal that comes through repentance and comes through confession now. Here, present, God's spirit is active. This coming Wednesday marks a new season in the church calendar. And this coming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And it begins the Lenten season, which takes us up to Easter. It's 40 days plus Sundays. And this season is marked by repentance, by confession, by renewal, by fasting. And it is this time for us to come before the Lord as what happened here and just saying, Lord, I'm here. Lord, do a work in me. And it's a beautiful thing because so often what we can do is we can just live through life and then get to Easter and be like, yes, Jesus arose. Thank you, Jesus. And then we go on with life. Where when we take these days, when we take this time to pause, to reflect, to say, oh, Lord Jesus, come. Then when we get to Easter, it's like, yes. And it is this forward trajectory as we walk with Jesus. So a couple things coming up here is this Wednesday, is Ash Wednesday, as I mentioned. 
we're going to have the sanctuary open from uh, 9 to 5, or people want to stay longer, they can stay longer, is that it's going to be open, and there's not going to be anyone leading anything. We're going to have some scripture on the screen, uh, probably some light music playing. You can come and pray on your own. You can come and pray with people, whatever it may be, is that we're going to have this space open for that, and so we invite you to come in. And then, too, next Sunday, we're going to start our Lenten series called Follow Me. What does it mean to follow Jesus? We're going to walk through the gospel according to Matthew and look at that. But before we get there, we need to wrap up this series. And today we talk about new creation. Revelation 21 and 22 is where we're going to focus our attention. And I'm going to jump all over the place, but you can turn to Revelation. We're going to start in chapter 5 and look at some in 21 and 22. But often what we do is we look at these six different movements that we, we have here on the screen and for some reason, what we do is that we, we acknowledge creation, the first two chapters of God's intended created order. Like, yeah, it happened. But so often when we start our story, we start at sin. I'm a sinner. Yep. And that's where we begin our story. We, we ignore the fact that God brought order and gave opportunity and relationship. And this is what God desires. For some reason, we drop those first two chapters and then what we do down here in new creation is we talk about the church and then new creation of like, yeah, something's gonna happen Someday, there's this really confusing, kind of trippy book at the end of the Bible called Revelation, and gives us some sort of picture, and we're like, something's going to happen. So we're just going to be a good church, and do good church things, and move forward with that. But why do we do that? Why do we skip the created intent, and then the end of the story, which is really just the beginning? Why do we skip the order and the relationship with God and the good that's there? And how many of you are reading a book right now and you said, you know what, the first two chapters of this book, yeah, it doesn't matter how the author's setting up the story, I'm gonna skip right over that and go to chapter three. Anyone do that? Or how many of you get to the end of a book and you're like, I'm just gonna figure out how I want it to end and I don't care what the author had to say. Or you watch a movie and you just skip the first part or you turn the movie off early. I mean, this is, you laugh at that because it's wild, but yet we do that with scripture. I was thinking about this. Back in 2010, there was a movie called Toy Story 3, which came out. Anyone see any of the Toy Story movies? If you have a child or grandchild, or you've been around at all, you've probably heard of it or, or watched it. So this was a highly anticipated movie. And people were so excited because it had been about 10 or 11 years since Toy Story 2 came out, and I was thrilled. I love the Toy Story movies. It's just part of my uh, growing up years. And there's a scene Near the end of the movie in Toy Story 3, where all the characters who are talking toys, toys come to life, they are in a garbage truck heading for a landfill. And if you remember the scene, they get to the landfill, they get pushed off towards this incinerator. And they are moving toward the fire. And they're trying to climb up all the garbage and everything that's coming up. And they get to this point in the movie where they just resign themselves to the fact that they are going to be incinerated that the story is over. Now, I don't really have to give a spoiler alert because if you have not watched this movie in the last 13 years that it's been out, your fault. <laughs> so they are saved because the claw comes in and scoops them up and saves them, right? But what people thought would be really funny, and you can find these online, is they thought they would edit the movie and they will show their family the edited version where it ended 
here. So there they are sliding down the incinerator towards the fire, and they get close to the fire, and then it fades to black, and then that happy-go-lucky, like, Toy Story credit music plays, and it's over. And what the people do is they film their family members going like, what? No! And you get all these different reactions. It's quite funny. But the story didn't end there. And our story doesn't end before we get to this new creation. Why do we end early? So John wrote this letter, known as Revelation, to give us a glimpse of what God was revealing. Now, there's four different views, main views, on how to look at the book of Revelation. There's the preterist view, which simply means this, is what was depicted, what is depicted in here happened in John's lifetime. He was describing live-action events that were unfolding in about 6 AD to about 100 AD. Then there's the historist view, which says that some of the prophecies have been fulfilled, and they continue to be fulfilled today. Then there's the futurist view, which says that anything past chapter 3 is yet to come. And then there's the symbolic, or some people call it a spiritual view, which talks about there's this cosmic conflict that has always been going on and will go on, and this is a symbolic vision of, of how this unfolds. So, however you look at the letter we know as Revelation, if you fit yourself in one of those categories, I'm going to ask you again, like I did in the book of Genesis, is just to hold it like this today, okay? Because this is the reason why. Like Genesis, there's a point beyond just locking ourselves in a category. We are to look at the author's reason for writing the material. Why was it put out there? Well, John was at Patmos. He was exiled for sharing the gospel. So he's troubled because there he was proclaiming Jesus, but now he's exiled there. The church is undergoing massive persecution, not like people are saying things that are negative, but like death, right? Execution. The church itself is really in, not quite imploding, but there is all sorts of massive issues going on with the church. So why would John write this letter? Well, wherever you fit in how you see this, there's something that we can agree on. Really three main things, and this is it. Jesus will return in the future, that his return is going to be welcomed by the people, and that he's returning for those who trust him. So whatever you do with everything else in the book, this is the core message. John is saying Jesus is coming back. John is saying he's coming for those who put their trust in them. And it's going to be a welcome return. Because we're groaning inwardly. Creation is groaning. But Jesus returning. It's an encouragement to the church. It's an encouragement to people then and people now. See, Jesus' two comings are, are very different in nature. Consider his first coming. Think the Christmas story. Cute story, baby born, in the midst of conflict and upheaval. And when Jesus came, Scripture tells us that he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to redeem 
and save people from their sin because we deserve death. And scripture tells us that God doesn't want anyone to be lost, doesn't want anyone to perish. So Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice, inviting people to him. Even as he rode into Jerusalem this last week, he rode on a donkey or a colt, the symbol of peace. Jesus went to the cross, this act of mercy for all of humanity. Where this cross is this perfect integration of both justice and mercy in dealing with our sin. Now, Jesus' second coming, which is yet to happen, is the same. Jesus is the same, but the purpose is different because the purpose is about judgment. Now, when I say that, I don't like to think of Jesus as judge. And I like that compassionate, kind, healing, saving friend Jesus. But Jesus is that as much as he is just. In Revelation, we see Jesus returning, carrying out the justice of God because God is a just God. And in Revelation 16, you can read this later, is that the angels are praising God because he's carrying out justice. The angels are saying, you have been patient for so long. Thank you that you are just, that sin is being eliminated, being wiped out, giving praise to God that this final order is coming into being. The chaos that sin created and causes today is being set aside. Angels are praising him. In Revelation 19, again, you can read this later, is that Jesus arrives to what appears to be a battle to fight on a white horse. Where he was on this colt, this sign of peace, he's now on a white horse, which is a sign of victory. The Roman generals, after the battle was won, would ride into the, the place there on a white horse proclaiming victory. And there Jesus and others show up on a white horse, and the battle's been won. There's one on the cross. We're just here for this final defeat of Satan. Look at verse 11 in chapter 19 of Revelation. It says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and his head, and his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads on the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. In his robe, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Again, Israel's hope was this coming Messiah, Jesus coming this first time. Now, the readers of John, the church then, the church now, looks ahead with this hope of the return of Jesus where final justice is done. And we are done with pain, suffering, with tears. This now is good news. And then it was good news. Revelation chapter five, you can flip back a couple pages. Imagine hearing these words for the first time. There is praise to God as he's bringing forth this justice. Verse eight of Revelation five. 
And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them into be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. That Jesus is king. Reign is rule, is here. And it was an encouragement then and it is now to keep going. Wherever you're at, church, and I'm not saying building, church, people, keep going. Because you know what happens? In the end, God wins, Jesus reigns. It is this perspective looking ahead that now it may feel messy. You may have that groaning feeling. You may not understand it, but in the end, Jesus reigns. And God has the final word. This ongoing redemptive plan throughout the whole of Scripture, chaos to order. We saw it again and again. Chaos returns and then order. Chaos and order until there's this final order. Look at this contrast between um, Genesis and Revelation here between these two, um, two areas. There we go. That first, Genesis, it appears that Satan wins when sin enters the picture. In Revelation, Satan is defeated. In Genesis, God hides his face when sin enters the picture. Revelation, humans see God's face. In Genesis, the gates of Eden are shut, whereas the gates of heaven are open. In Genesis, a curse is pronounced curse is removed in Revelation. Death enters the picture in Genesis. Revelation says that death is destroyed forever. If you think back to where we started in Genesis, in the fall, we looked at Genesis chapter 3, and I read these words from Genesis 3, verse 22. It says, the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And here's our story. Here is the rest of the story that we walk in. But when you look ahead to Revelation 22, verse 1, it says this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb of God will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will need not the light or lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. And he will reign forever and ever. Chaos, order, all the wickedness removed, 
There's a wholeness that has been broken in creation itself and broken in humanity. There's a wholeness renewed. The world is made anew. It's restored. It's the best word that gets used in Revelation is, is new. In Revelation 21, John said these words. He said, then I saw, quote, a new heaven and a new earth. This is the best way he could describe it. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There's something familiar, but there's something different. And there was no longer any sea. Now, do you remember in Genesis? There was chaos. And it says the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. There's a number of words describe chaos in those early pages. There was darkness, disorder, there was water. And here, there's no longer any sea, which is a sign of chaos. There's order. And I saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will, be, he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be there with them and be their father, or be their God, excuse me. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. A new Jerusalem coming down that he will be among, he will be with. That is with the people. And Paul described it to the church in Ephesians 1 this way. In him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, so what Jesus did for us. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. Bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under this new creation, this picture that is unfolding in chapter 21 and 22, this new creation is a final answer to a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray 2,000 years ago. And we have prayed again and again and again. Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is done in heaven, done on earth. I find it interesting here that when John describes the new heaven and the new earth, there's this familiarity, but there's something different about it. I find it interesting, too, when Jesus, after his resurrection, before his ascension, you recall that Jesus came and he, he ate and he drank and he talked with his disciples. He was there. There was something familiar about Jesus. You remember, he showed him the wounds, them the wounds. There's something physical and familiar about him, but there was something different as well. There's this resurrected reality of a physical being and a spiritual being. Something had changed, but something was familiar. Now, for the longest of time, when I would look at the book of Revelation and I would think about eternity, I have to say, I was not very excited about eternity. You'd be saying, like, what? Why? This is why. Because I love life. I love the blessing of life. I love the opportunities 
that we have in life. I love people, love nature, love the built environment around. I love joy that you get to share, sharing moments of laughter, I mean, even hard moments. And so when I thought about eternity, I thought of all the good things that I've experienced here and now. And what I thought about eternity is I thought about, man, I'm going to be some sort of like disembodied, ghostly figure that I hope will recognize other people. And, and you know, I'm going to be worshiping God all day long. And, I mean, I struggle to sit and sing like four songs in a church service. And I've somehow got to play this harp. I don't know how you hold a harp. Um, and I had this like really messed up view of what creation, new creation is like, what eternity is like, what it is to be with Jesus. And I loved all these things. And then I started to ask the question of like, if, if when I die, like there's this reset button that happens, that all of a sudden I'm gonna be totally different and I'm gonna have all these other loves and passions that I'm just gonna jump into this eternity and I'm gonna be good with that. I started thinking like, okay, life now what does it matter? I mean, is this all about this ticket to get to that? I mean, what's the point of this whole narrative? Starting with create, creation and order and, and God carrying his people all along. Is it all just so I can get a ticket and I can have other people get tickets to get to this? Better to get really discouraged. And wrestled with that a lot because I saw others who <laughs> took my chair. I saw others who said they love Jesus. They accepted Jesus as their Savior, and they're like, Come, Lord Jesus. All right, time to go to church. Come, Lord Jesus. All right, time to read my Bible. Come, Lord Jesus. Is that, is that what this is all about? I mean, if that was the case, why did Jesus return in this resurrected body? Why did he have those conversations? Why did he come back and just say, hey, you need to go and tell others? I mean, he had told the people already, his disciples had already. I mean, why? Why is there a new heaven and a new earth that's familiar and but yet different. In Isaiah 60, there's this prophecy. And it's a remarkable prophecy that if we had more time here this morning, we would unpack, and I encourage you to read it later. But it's talking about light breaking through, and it's this look ahead. There's something really interesting that happens is the kings of nations come before the throne of God in eternity, and they offer God goods. We're... we're I was always told that there's not a luggage rack on a hearse, right? I mean, what are these goods that, that they're presenting before God? And I was reading Richard Mao, and he, he said these words. He said, when the kings come marching, they bring the best of their nations. The final vision of the city is one filled not just with God's glory and presence, not just with his own stunningly beautiful architectural designs, 
not just with redeemed persons from every cultural background, but with redeemed human culture too. The contents of the city will be more akin to our present cultural patterns than is usually acknowledged in the discussions of the afterlife. Isaiah pictures the holy city as a center of commerce and a place that receives the vessel goods and the currency of commercial activity. What? So, so it, is he saying that this matters? Is he saying that the gifts and the talents and the abilities that I've been giving as a human being have something that makes a difference in eternity? I mean, Isaiah is showing these kings bringing these things before God. There's something that happens from creation where it begins in a garden. There's a tree and a river. And then we go all the way to Revelation. And we see another garden, but there's something different. There's a city in that garden. That same tree, that same river is there. So somehow we got from a garden to a garden city. Something was built. Something was added. Something changed. So what does that mean for us as followers of Jesus? Does that mean that this matters? I mean, Paul said that verse that I've said way too many times already is that we're not our own. We've been bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with our bodies. And we're temples of the Holy Spirit. So does that mean like what we do makes a difference? Guy Jathani, he's a, a pastor and a, an author. He says, we can't easily identify what it is that we do here and now that lasts. But he said this, that there's three principles that we can be guided on. Anything inconsistent with God's character and his plan for creation will be purged. We see that again and again. Anything that is chaos, anything that is sin-related, it's going to be purged. But anything consistent with God and his plan will endure. And our efforts to cultivate order, beauty, and abundance matter both now and eternal. Paul said these words to the church at Colossae. He said, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above not on earthly things. You may be saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? No, Chris, you, you're saying something different now. Let's look at the difference here. This is what I pictured. My mind and my heart on earthly things. Come, Lord Jesus. Or does it mean the life that you're living and I'm living, that my mind and my heart are on, not on earthly things, but on what's eternal, what lasts, what makes a difference. I mean, we look around and we see humanity around us. We have people all around us. We know for sure that there is an eternal reality for humanity. It matters. It matters what we do. It matters what we say. There's a start right there. There's so much more to life here and now that carries forward. There's something familiar about this new heaven and earth. Something different. Randy Alcorn, he wrote these words. He said, a new Jerusalem will be a new Eden, a huge garden city of startling beauty. We will honor God by enjoying him through enjoying his creation. We'll always get to do what we want to do, and we'll always want to do what brings joy to God and to us. And as I thought about that, is that joy will be the air we breathe in eternity. 
And joy will be the air that we breathe in eternity. So I wonder, what is it that brings joy now? What is the answer to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because when I find joy and I find those moments like you find those moments where there is just something that you cannot describe about that moment, it is beyond description. There is great joy in it. Maybe that's hearing a baby giggle. Maybe that is being with the one you love. Maybe that is just something that brings great joy, is that joy will be the air we breathe. And so thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These glimpses, this new creation, we've had opportunity to be a part of here and now, this foretaste that the Spirit allows us to be a part of. Revelation 21.4, there's this promise. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So this means there's no disease or disability or accidents or hospitals or emergency rooms or cemeteries or sin or evil or fear. There's no abuse, rape, murder, suicide, depression, bombs, terrorism, shootings. The list goes on. So do we just wait for those things? Or are we active Kingdom come, your will be done. Romans 8, verse 18 says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. First part of our story that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. New creation. This is the ultimate final order where there's no chaos. The prophet Isaiah wrote these words in chapter 65. These words from the Lord. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind all those things that I just talked about that we deal with here, the sin, the destruction, the chaos, it's not there. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight in a people, and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Delight, there's joy, no weeping, crying, plenty, there's houses, there's vineyards, food, there's peace, there's shalom, wholeness in every possible way. So we have the letter of Revelation reminding us that Jesus will return. And that we're to look eagerly as we trust in him and welcome that return. For the follower of Jesus, we are blessed. We are blessed in so many different ways now. The best is yet to come. So if you're in the middle of something, hold on. Hold on. Keep going. Keep going. Remember, your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Receive that from God. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The end of Revelation, 
John writes these words, come, Lord Jesus. I think there's a radical difference when I said it here earlier, come, Lord Jesus, versus come, Lord Jesus, I'm here, walking in your will, your way, on your heartbeat, in the places that you have called me to be, and go and have influence. So come, Lord Jesus, I'm here, following you, not my own, and I honor you with all of who I am. Let's pray. Jesus, may we be an active church, church made up of people that who are on mission, Lord, following after you, Lord, being filled by your spirit, people who exude an overflow Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Lord, in our homes, our workplaces, school, neighborhood, civic, social, every possible area. Lord, may your kingdom come and may your will be done God, as it is in heaven here on earth. Jesus, I pray today God, for anyone that's here, God, who calls himself a follower of you, that that would be their, their heart's cry. It's to walk fully committed to you. God, ridding their life of any sort of sin, anything they've allowed in, at any sort of roadblock to you. Jesus, today you hear our prayers. And Lord, too, for anyone that's here that has never said yes to following you, that today they would say yes. They would confess you, you hear their prayer, that they're a sinner, that they've sinned, or that you, Jesus, taken their sin and forgiven them. They would tell you that, and they would, they would receive you as their Lord and Savior. God, may we be a people who walks faithfully with you. Lord, we're so grateful. We pray this all in Jesus' strong, powerful, and wonderful name. Amen. Amen.